Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely, and with me, and with me as always, my co-host and Rangely's founder, Kristen Muth. It is Wednesday, February 1st, and today we're going to be talking about a big acquisition from Cisco, and then we're going to turn to a Ponzi scheme involving everyone's favorite musical, Hamilton. Uh, so, Chris, let's start with Cisco. Last week, they Cisco's the giant internet kind of networking uh, business, hundred billion plus market. I think two hundred billion plus market cap, uh, seventy billion of cash on their balance sheet. And last week, they announced a kind of interesting acquisition. They are buying App Dynamics for three point seven billion dollars. And the reason this is so interesting is App Dynamics was literally hours from going to IPO and kind of ring their uh, executives were actually on a flight to New York City to ring the opening bell for their IPO. Uh, they were going to be valued at just under $2 billion in the IPO, and Cisco bought them for $3.7 billion. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people are like, look, growth investors are so sad. Like, this was the first really growthy IPO in a while. They were really excited to get a piece of this. Uh, a lot of the App Dynamics engineers are so sad. They liked being this startup that was rapidly growing and taking over the world. But you know who's not sad? Who's not sad is App Dynamics executives and investors because they were about to IPO for $2 billion and they got paid $3.7 billion. It's a massive valuation, a massive premium. They're paying uh, 18 times last last 12, 12 months sales. So they're getting paid a lot of money for this. It's questionable if they could have achieved this valuation ever on the public markets. Uh, so Chris, you know, what do you think of Cisco buying App Dynamics right before they IPO'd? Well, we were talking about how the Snap CEO is having a good year so far. I would say that it is ambiguous whether you should want to pay 18 times uh, uh, the uh, uh, the uh, LTM sales. Uh, it, it is unambiguous that you should be very happy about getting paid uh, the, the, uh, that way. And uh, uh, you know, I think these guys. One, they got a great price. Two, a big premium to what they would have IPO'd at. And three, as little as I care about luxury, I love good logistics. And so, being on a private plane and being able just to beep to the front, <laughs> divert. IPO canceled is I don't know if we can say badass on our pop on our podcast, but it's cool. Well, you can say badass. I, I give you permission, but you know I, I I agree with you. Giant valuation, giant premium. But just to turn to the the Snapchat thing, you know. Facebook offered $3 billion to buy Snapchat a couple years ago, and Facebook bought Instagram for a billion dollars a couple years ago. And in both cases, people were pointing to Facebook and saying, look at silly Mark Zuckerberg buying all these ridiculous startups for that have no revenue for infinite multiples, like silly capital allocation. Bad, bad, bad. And in both cases, now, again, I'm not saying this is the case, but in both cases, Mark Zuckerberg was very much vindicated that when you buy a fast-growing tech thing that can scale really quickly with a lot of growth potential, you can pay a big premium and still realize a lot of value from it. That's very wise. And I think something you've kind of taught me and cautioned me on is – to be a value investor doesn't mean you have to be a curmudgeon. It shouldn't be attitudinally anti either new fast growth or tech. 
These are all things that can be net present valued. Um, also, I just wanted to make a small little comment about this scale here. It is a big deal in terms of billions, sure, but even with this premium, it shows how the scales fit together. I mean, this is about 5% of their cash. They could do a deal like this with their current cash, you know, once a month for a year and a half. And, and they generate tons of cash flow. And they generate they, cash flow. Yeah, yeah. That's just the cash they have now, exactly. And uh, the people involved are a big factor. And a little point I'd like to make is that both the substance of their product and the idea of optimizing can have massive leverage to their customers. I sound like an app dynamics ad. We're not getting a royalty or any kind <laughs> of deal from app dynamics, but we would take it. I'm not too good to, uh, to take it. Yeah. But, um, but we, we but, say this on the podcast all the time. We're like, we're not too proud to take yeah. advertisements <laughs> yes. and royalties. And but, nobody but, ever takes us up on it. The I fact that it. I'm not getting paid under the table has nothing to do with my not reaching <laughs> under the table from them. It's simply there's anyway. nothing under the table that's coming. But I would say both of their products and the management and the deal, uh, it is massively scalable and the value of that optimizing and the value of optimizing the team that Cisco has mm -hmm. and how they put together work their uh, rest of their now $66-67 billion dollars can be worth it. Yeah, so you're going exactly where I was saying. Look, you and I, our game is not to play, is not to buy some growthy startup with no no revenue for $2 billion. Like, that's not our game. But what I was trying to drive at with the Facebook point is that doesn't mean it can't be right. a good value investment. In this case, like, if I was Cisco, I personally would kind of be like, wait, they're about to IPO for $2 billion and we're going to buy them for $4 billion? Like, that's not what I'd want to do. But in Cisco's case, like, you can see the logic. They're them, Microsoft, IBM, Intel. They're kind of these old tech companies mm -hmm. that really need to solve for the growth equation or else they're going to kind of dwindle into irrelevancy at some point. And if by buying this, you can kind of hire some young engineers, it's got a lot of synergies through the rest of your organization, just because this purchase in and of itself doesn't make sense or might be a little overvalued, it might spur growth elsewhere. And kind of what I was thinking it's not a perfect example but you know disney bought pixar for seven billion dollars back in 2006 and on any valuation metrics disney overpaid for pixar any valuation metric used but by high, by buying pixar they were able to take that pixar juice and creativity team and they put it into the walt disney uh engineering studios and that's how walt disney uh motion picture animated studios and that's how you got frozen that's how you got tangled so even though it might have looked financially like it wasn't a great idea, when you get that talent and you've got the synergies with the rest of your business, it can actually create so much value. And, you know, if you're Cisco and you're paying, like you said, one month's worth of cash, why not? If it makes sense, why not? And, and again, not what we do, but when you hire... Pixar or AppDynamics, you have the best people. And sure, they paid twice the IPO price or what that would have been. I think the real no man's land would be kind of splitting the difference. And what you really don't want is kind of the second string or third string players and kind of the kind of expensive A- minus players. That's probably where you get destroyed. There's an investment. We, we haven't talked about it necessarily, but there's investment I've looked at a lot. Where the A plus player IPO'd for, uh, let's call it 10 times sales to mm -hmm. make the math easier. And this very creative management team that I like went and bought kind of the second best player and they bought him for three or four times sales. And now the question is, why did the B players sell for three or four times sales? Did the A, did this team, were they like, hey, we've got this valuation arbitrage and they could really take advantage of it? Or did the B player know like, 
hey, we're never going to catch those guys. These guys are silly offering us that multiple. And then where you really don't want to be is some of the guys who don't have as good as a management team saw that somebody bought the B player for four or five times sales, and they went and bought the D minus players for two times sales. And you don't want to be buying the player for two times sales. But I do think it's interesting, you know, paying half the multiple for the B team, where, where is the right answer? There's no great answer, but it's an interesting thought. And at least it shows creativity on that management part. Uh, I'll, I'll just give you the last word unless you want to turn over to the Hamilton Podency. Nothing time. Okay, so let's turn over to the Hamilton Ponzi scheme. Uh, on Monday, uh, two New York City businessmen, I believe, were arrested and charged with allegedly running an $81 million Ponzi scheme. And this Ponzi scheme was based on the claims, hey, we have access to producers and things, and we can get special access to tickets for A-level events. Like Hamilton was the Hamilton tickets were the big thing they were saying. And they also mentioned an Adele concert and some other really popular events. And they said, hey, we'll buy them at face value, and then we'll turn around and resell them for a massive profit. Uh, They lured about 125 investors in with this and they had written contracts that said, hey, we promise you full repayment of everything you give us plus 10% interest plus we'll give you a cut of these massive profits we're going to make. Uh, and, you know, it, it was a complete shell game. They used $48 million of the $81 million they got to just do what a Ponzi scheme does and return money to investors. And then they used the other, what is that math, $33 million to $33, $34 million to go buy jewelry, to gamble, pay for private schools, which $33 million is a lot of gambling. But, Chris, I think we've got a lot of thoughts on here. Why don't you kick us off? What do you think about the Hamilton Ponzi? Well, the exciting great news is we do have a uh, investment that offers full repayment of initial principal. So we're we're going to have to get our lawyers back and, on this. And 10% annualized profit, uh, which the bad news is it's the Ponzi scheme. It does seem that that is kind of the industry standard for Ponzi scheme promises. Yeah. You can make it anything. And it seems like it's just good enough uh, that they always send offer. That was very similar to uh, Madoff and uh, others. Uh, so I think that that's kind of what people ask. You know, we were talking about A players. One thing is when people lie, they usually go all out. Yeah. They don't say, hey, I have these uh, phones. Uh, as it turns out, non-existent Adele tickets. The bad news is there's a, a pillar in the way. It's it's the best performer, the best seats, the biggest show. Um, and uh, the thing that's interesting too is in this case, from a business perspective, what they were offering wasn't clearly a great idea, even if it was legit. I mean, Broadway is an incredibly tough business. Well, Go no, you go ahead. You I go was ahead. just going to say because it is so subjectively desirable. There's lots of wealthy people, especially wealthy New Yorkers, who love to back shows. I have a friend who put a lot of money into uh, a show that ended up getting Tonys, and he still like never saw any money from it. Well, so I, I somewhat disagree because I think what you're referring to is the process of investing in Broadway shows, right. which I agree it's, like risk adjusted. Everyone has said it. The only thing worse than that is probably investing in a restaurant. In a restaurant, right. same thing. But, In this case, I think what they're doing is they're saying, hey, we've got access to producers who will give us tickets at face value. We get them at face value and we can just cherry pick. Hey, if something's reselling for more than face, we'll just go buy it for face and sell it for more. So I can kind of understand the appeal. The thing is, if you can do that, why the heck would you bring anyone else in on it? Uh, you know, it kind of reminds me like Super Bowl tickets, a, a, a lot of Super Bowl tickets. The Super Bowl, they want to pretend that they're pricing these things at $800 per ticket when the Super Bowl is this weekend. I think tickets go three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000. And there's always a lot of flack because players get offered a certain amount of tickets. And apparently every player knows you just buy your tickets at face value. And even though you technically can't sell them, you can give them to your agent. And if you give them a cut, he can sell them for 5X money. And that's how you get like a nifty little thirty or $40,000 bonus. I think the real thing here is 
uh, institutions for some reason think that they should price their tickets way below market. And all they're doing is they're giving up some of the economics to the ticket brokers or whoever can get them at face value. And in this case, they were running a Ponzi scheme that claimed they could get them at face value. But there's two things here. There's the Ponzi scheme and then there's the just shenanigans of saying something's worth face and not charging full market price for it. Does that all make sense? It does. You know, if somebody comes to me and it seems like their role in it is dubious, when somebody with a dubious role in a fabulous hypothetical opportunity – um, uh, I always, you know, it's like, why you? Is that a market clearing price or mm-hmm. not a market clearing price? If it's a market clearing price, thanks, I can do it on my own. If it's not, why do you have this magically special relationship, especially for somebody who's not famously uh, involved in that area? In this case, they also seem very sophomoric about what their fibs were. You know, Hamilton and, and Adele. It's kind of like <laughs> they just pick these superstars as if the first fib didn't get you excited enough, you know, it's kind of, you know, well, my daddy will beat you up and he's a ninja and a Navy SEAL. Like, well, which one? It's like the first <laughs> one didn't really uh, get your attention. So it's just trying to like kind of kind of accelerate and aggrandize something that wasn't true to begin with. Um, my big conclusion on this and my only serious thought, he raised a lot of money, $81 million. 81, it's an um, insane so amount lot. of money. I mean, because a lot of kind of like small town hucksters seem to be able to pull together a couple million dollars. You know, you, I, I read through everything that goes on at the SEC. I'm very interested in some of the enforcement stuff. And um, you see a lot of small town hucksters here and there. But this is a pretty big scale. And, and 100, uh, 125 people, $81 million, that's what? I mean – around 500,000 per person. Like these are people writing big tickets mm-hmm. to get this. That's insane. And one of my concerns is also that the victims and uh, if money's been stolen from you, you're a victim kind of might have suspected that something unusual was going on and just thought that they were uh, a, uh, a duper instead of a dupey. Um, but what is the, what is the uh, defense on this? Well, how do you deal with black markets? And in this case, it wasn't just uh, a uh, a in a not legal market, but a, but a theft. But white markets kill black markets. If you want to hurt something like this, support scalpers. Let markets clear. The market clearing price is the right price, and the market is a, the most brutal, efficient, and fastest regulator. Uh, but the regulators in this are going to be pretty uh, fast too. Uh, Trump said he's keeping on Preet Bharara, who's a uh, a uh, tough uh, uh, character in the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern. District of New York, and he is on the case. Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, one thing I heard was a lot of concerts, their their face value. Let, let's make math easy again. Their face value of their tickets is ten dollars when the market price is twenty. And a lot of people say, why don't you charge twenty? And a lot of them will say, now obviously it, it might be ten versus a hundred. Let's make them. Let's make it that dramatic. But a lot of them say, listen, we could charge a hundred, but the fan backlash for us isn't worth it because the fans come out and say, hey, like. A lot of artists, you know, they have to write about how tough their times are and how hard it is, especially country artists, how hard it is like being broke. And if you're charging $100 per ticket, it's not a good look for you when you're getting up on stage and singing, I'm so broke, I'm drinking my last beer with my last dollar. But it it is interesting, like... Are they intentionally underpricing in order to avoid that? Now, Hamilton, I don't think you have to worry about that. People know it's kind of an elite left thing. But when you do, who gets that economic profit? And it's insiders and ticket brokers and all those who capture that economic profit. So 
I, I don't know what the right answer is, but it is just kind of interesting uh, thinking about that. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that. No, there, the fairness and the idea thematically of fairness, it really is deeply imbued and it really affects the kind of smooth functioning of markets from time to time when people have some kind of subjective idea yeah. uh, of what something should cost. And when it's too far from that, it really can interfere. Agreed. All right. Uh, two last things. You know what I am very surprised at? And I'm going to put it on the podcast so that we can trademark it and whoever does this has to pay us something. I'm surprised there's not a Make America Great Again ETF. You know, you do have the symbol as MAGA and you would invest in nothing but steel companies and things that are going to go on the Trump trade. So maybe we should delay this podcast and go register that right now. But if somebody does it, trademark, send us the checks. We'll take them. Any thoughts on MAGA? Would there be a better symbol for the Donald Trump ETF? No, that would be it. Yeah, I I want the MAGA ETF. And then the other thing I wanted to quickly mention, uh, we're considering doing a mailbag podcast next week. We're not committing to it. It depends on kind of if we get enough questions, if we're feeling in the mood or not. But if you want to submit some mailbag questions, you know, if you've got questions, comments, anything you want us to talk about, send us an email at podcast at rangelycapital.com. That's range, like a driving range, L-E-Y capital.com. And we might uh, do a mailbag podcast next next week. It'll be a little bit different format, but that'd be fun. Uh, Chris, I think the only stock we mentioned today was really Cisco and maybe a little Facebook. I don't think we have any disclosures today. I'm long Hamilton tickets. You're, oh, you, how'd you and, like to play? Um, you saw I, it, right? I thought it was fantastic. Best musical I've ever seen. I'm going again. It is uh, one of those, I like to be a debunker. I wish I didn't like it just so I could say that it was overrated, but it was highly rated and underrated. Did you it pay face value or market value for them? Um, I paid... Let's see. Uh, market value. Market value. Market value. So you you, uh, you yeah. might have been buying from yeah. the Hamilton Ponzi yeah. scheme, yeah. Chris. Micah, so one little mini thought of Mega. It, sh- it should be able to short on. as well as go long, I hope. What's that? Mega should be able to short, <laughs> I hope. As well. All right, great. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Chris is hosting a podcast tomorrow, and we will talk to you then.